On the Isle of Hyde, all ghosts aren't dead. Haunted by a past they fled, and by a present so steeped in lore, truth can scarcely be deciphered. If tomorrow promised of a world without social media, television, and distraction, would you take it? Would you become a ghost of Hyde? I'm Vanessa K. Eccles, and this is Fabled. Several of you wrote and mentioned how much you enjoyed the last all-fiction episode of the podcast, so here's another for you. Becoming a ghost of Hyde Island meant saying goodbye to the world as I knew it. Leaving modern society with its Wi-Fi, cell phones, television streaming, and so much more seemed impossible. But the world had become increasingly dangerous with its riots and murders, drugs and manipulation. Some people no longer wanted to participate in such a toxic culture. So, a small portion of the population opted for a different life. Hyde, along with other carefully organized communities on islands surrounding the coastlines, became sanctuaries. My mother and father were happy to give up technology for a simpler life. Both had grown up in rural areas and missed the days of old before connection had destroyed us all. To them, becoming a ghost or a person removed from the internet, the mainland, and the media had been the best way to ensure a more rewarding life. If only things had been that simple. Rosalind Please be sure to cover the mirrors, Celia asked as she quickly moved through the house, rearranging the many flowers that had come in the past 24 hours. I nodded, gathered the black cloths from the funeral box she brought, and went about the house covering the mirrors. Once dead traditions had made a resurgence on Hyde Island. After covering the mirrors, I sat in the front living room, Mother's open coffin sat in the bay window. Neighbors passed by, peering in to see the body, a confirmation that she was, in fact, dead. One last thing, Celia said, shaping some magnolia clippings into a wreath, an evergreen to remind us that her life is not over. Another has begun. She placed the wreath on the door and closed it with a heavy sigh. After the initial shock of losing mother, I'd lost all feeling. 
A numbness swept through me like a disease. I couldn't muster another tear if I wanted to. I leaned over her, noticing how young and beautiful she still looked, even though she had grown pale and cold. The doctor had said it was an aneurysm, quick and nearly painless. Celia took my hand in hers and squeezed. My deepest condolences, sweet girl. Your mother was a light to the community. She was, I said, just above a whisper. Celia tucked a gray strand behind her ear and readjusted her glasses on her nose before gazing into the casket. I've sent for Ezra, the new minder. He'll be able to help you move forward after such a tragic event. Thank you, but I'm all right, I said and moved away. Ezra was a new resident of the community. Hyde Island kept exactly 333 residents. Mother had been the last minder, and she'd taken great care to help the community deal with the emotional spiritual and mental difficulties of leaving a culture and developing a new one. Ezra arrived late the same night of her death on the midnight ferry. Earlier that day, Father had sourly mentioned it, a bit angry at the island's efficient replacement policy. Celia cut a lock of Mother's hair and proceeded to the table where she worked with a magnifying glass and tweezers braiding the curl into a design, an old Victorian art and practice that grievers, part death doulas, part funeral directors, like Celia, had brought back to Hyde Island. Your mother had a lovely heart locket that I'll place this in for you. People never knocked on the front door when a family grieved, so when someone did, I knew it must have been Ezra. Celia started to stand, but I motioned for her to stay. I'll get it. Ezra stood a few feet from the door, looking rather uncomfortable. And young. A lot younger than I expected. Not much older than me, I suspected. Ezra, I asked, already knowing the answer. Yes, I have an appointment with Rosalind, he said glancing down at a sticky note in the palm of his hand. I nodded. That's me. Please come in, I said, opening the door and standing aside. What a lovely home. He glanced up at the tall ceilings, eyes following the crown molding along the walls to the grand chandelier in the foyer. No one on Hyde Island complimented each other's homes. They were mostly the same, though our house was an exception. Built in the mid-1700s, it had lots of charm and modifications. Ezra, Celia said, approaching him with a kiss on the cheek. He moved awkwardly to kiss her cheek as well. Celia's brows pulled together for a moment, but she let it go. Men don't return kiss greetings here, but he'd learn our ways soon enough. My bedroom is upstairs, you can follow me, I said. The pine floor squeaked beneath our weight as we glided up the stairs and toward my closed door.
please, I said as we came into the room, have a seat. I motioned him toward the Windsor chair sitting by my writing desk. As per the custom, I lay on the bed, arms by my side, palms facing upward. He fumbled through his briefcase and pulled out a leather-bound notebook and a fancy pen with a quill tip. When his eyes met me, he shifted in the chair. I felt sorry for him, how uncomfortable he seemed. I tried to imagine what it'd feel like to be new here, how strange it all must be, but my memories of the mainland had faded into a past that felt more like a dream than a reality. He took a deep breath and sat up a little taller. Let's begin, shall we? I closed my eyes. Are you familiar with the Hungarian practice of active imagination? He asked. Not entirely, I told him. My mother used more folk healing than other forms of minding. An uneasiness crept within me and I nervously clenched my fists. It can be helpful in times like these. Palms upward, he reminded me. Imagine the last time you saw your mother alive. Where was she? And what does she have to say to you now? A tap tapping on the window beckoned me to look. The storm caused a limb of a live oak to slap against the house. Sheets of rain submerged the empty square outside. I could hear someone whispering, mother perhaps. So I opened my door, thinking I'd see someone just outside. A light shone from under my parents' bedroom door, so I moved toward it, leaning my ear against the oak. Forgive me, for I have sinned, my mother said in a hushed, nervous voice. I don't think we should do this, Julie. You'll survive. I know you will, father said. Confused, I listened on. I won't, Charles, mother said with a hint of desperation in her voice. I'd hoped by coming here, I'd find a way to escape my family's fate, but it's no use. We're cursed. I heard more movement and the sound of the mattress sinking. But you've lived longer than all the others, father said, his words heavy with emotion. If anyone can break this, you can. I've tried, Lord knows I have. The terror my mother spoke of, the one written in my family's loric, is true. The shades have arrived. No, father said, voice trembling. I couldn't make sense of what she was saying. She'd never mentioned my grandmother to me. She was dead long before I was born. What has she been keeping from me? Please, try to resist it, Julie. Please, for our sake, for Rosalind. Just eat it for me, just in case, she said. Before I could wrap my mind around her words, movement caught my eye. Down the hall, footsteps heavy and unfamiliar came from the stairs. The hall was dark, lit by only the occasional bolt of lightning. A shadow man stepped into view. I rubbed my eyes, thinking it must be a trick of the light. But no, 
A shadow man walked toward me, toward my parents' room. I scrambled to stand, to let out a scream. Terror flooded through me. I could hardly move. I pressed into the wall, hoping the vision would recede. Rosalind, Father said as he came rushing out the door. He took me into his arms, never looking toward the shadow man. He's here, I heard my mother say, and before I could speak, she let out a deep, guttural moan. Then she fell with a loud thud onto the pine floor. No, father exclaimed, letting me go and turning toward her. No, my darling, please no. Beyond them, the shadow man stood only feet away, staring. When I blinked, he disappeared. Inside my parents' lit room, an upside-down pineapple, symbolic of something unwelcome, and a pomegranate representing death, sat on a tray. Both had been cut and served in a single bowl. My father, the island's spiritual advisor and sin-eater, had cleansed her from her life's offenses. Mother, I began to say, kneeling at her side, solid black glassy eyes jolted open unnaturally and stared back at me. I swallowed my fear and steadied my trembling hands. Why are you here? What do you need to say to me? That can't be, I said, feeling my entire body grow rigid. Rosalind. Ezra's voice pulled me from the vision. Come back to me. I sat up, gasping for air as if I'd been suffocating. What? No. No. Ezra pushed his dark hair back and tugged at his vest. I don't understand, he began, still sitting at the edge of his seat. I thought your mother passed while reading in the living room. I nodded in agreement. Mother had left this world, as he said, suddenly standing as if in distress and then falling to the floor. In a mere moment, she'd ceased to exist. May I ask you something? I flung my legs over the edge of the bed, bare feet pressing into the silk rug. Of course, Ezra said, leaning forward as if he were keen to hear my question. Do you truly believe the dead can speak to us from beyond the grave? I do. We shall find out, I told him, and moved toward the door. Where are you going? he asked, trailing behind me as I made my way down the creaky pine stairs. Beyond the living room and toward the back of the house, when I reached the basement door, I hesitated for a moment, hand hovering inches from the glass knob. It'd been Mother's office. The steps gave slightly under me as I stepped down into the damp black room. The single light bulb hung above me, and when I pulled the chain, darkness scattered. But new shadows had appeared in the spider-webbed corners. But they were for another day, another mystery that needed sorting. I pulled back the heavy jute rug in the middle of the room, revealing a small cutout in the floorboards. What's this? Ezra asked as he cautiously treaded down the stairs. A single small hole had been drilled 
just wide enough to fit a few fingers through. I pulled at the makeshift door and a whiff of decay burst forth. I coughed, then reached for the contents within. The Ghosts of Hyde was written on a thick leather ledger of sorts. Flipping through its pages, I realized it wasn't a record of the people who'd lived on the island. Instead, it was a record of the women who died in my family. Names of all the women from our line, stretching back to the mid-1700s. The last entry, Julie Hyde Wood, June 29th, 2033. Ezra's movement brought me from my thoughts. What did she say? He asked, kneeling beside me. She said, I began, biting my lip, not wanting to say the words aloud, that I'd be next. We're the real ghosts of Hyde. Fabled is produced by me, Vanessa K. Eccles, with music by Kevin McLeod. If you'd like to join the Fabled community, I invite you to join our Discord channel. I'll leave a link to it in the show notes if you're interested. I hope you're doing well. As always, thank you for listening. <laughs>